0: This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Okay, everybody, we are back. We have JP Moses with us on the line. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Uh, JP Moses, we last week, we uh, talked to him and we had a lot of good things to say about real estate investing education as we know it today. And some of the good things to look at and watch out for and to uh, be aware of. And it was really good to go back and check that out. Um, But I wanted to do a part two with JP because he's got some really good stuff on how to find deals and how to find motivated sellers. And I'd like to just jump right into that. JP, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, man. I'm good. Still good. Doing awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Guys, if you haven't already, his podcast is reiology.com. Is that right, JP? Is that the website?
1: Yes, sir. R-E-I-O-L-O-G-Y. It's a really good podcast. Was that a good uh, radio voice there?
0: Yeah, well, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, JP is... Uh, you do have a really good taste for radio, JP.
1: I know. My wife tells me that all the time. I'm so gracious. I mean, grateful. I mean, whatever.
0: <laughs> the uh, it, It's really good. And um, you can find it on iTunes. Leave him a review, would you? Subscribe to his podcast. Leave him a good review. Don't leave him a bad review. Just leave him <laughs> a good one.
1: You know, the best thing you could do would probably just copy and paste the review that you've already left. For these cats at Real Estate Investing Mastery. I'm sure it was wonderful. Just go ahead and copy that and just paste it on, on mine and then and that'll work just fine.
0: <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, speaking of reviews, we are at ninety-six, Alex and I are. Ninety-six five star maybe reviews. Wow. And yeah, yeah. Not Very as much. Nice. I want to have I want to get over the hundred mark. So if you're listening to this. And how do we know you're listening? Well, we have our ways, okay? But if you're listening to this, we'd like you to please leave us a review in iTunes. I want to get over that 100-review five-star mark. We'd really appreciate it. And then after you do that, you could then go to JP's and leave him another five-star review, if you like our podcast, <laughs> because uh, they're really good stuff. And I'm proud to recommend and uh jp's podcast and and uh, he's a good friend alex and i have known jp for a long time and if you didn't listen to the last episode jp helped alex create a really cool course called the 17 sneaky wholesaling tricks and uh alex what was the website where they can go to get that again i think it was I'm alex here. yeah go ahead Yeah,
2: i'm here go to 17 sneaky tricks.com or alex Flips for com,
0: 17 sneaky com, and AlexFlipsforcash.com, flips for right? I, I,
1: hey, I just want to say something about that. I, this is JP. I, um, that whole thing came about because I had developed a friendship with Alex and we were just kicking it on the phone one day. And he told me about these 17 little sneaky wholesaling tricks that he had kind of documented. And I said, well, dude, let's just let me, I, I, I want to, I want to hear them. First of all, I want to see what, what you got cooking, but let's do it publicly and let's let other people eavesdrop in. So this was not, you know, some big fancy masterminded, slick polished real estate course. This is like as real deal in the trenches off the cuff as it gets. And then I ended up turning 17 sneaky tricks into 22 sneaky tricks because by the time we got done with those 17 tricks, I had been quietly writing my own five little things that his his uh, his tricks jogged into my memory, so it's really really good stuff. And I can't. I, I uh, Alex is the brainchild of the whole thing, but it was an honor to be a part of the project, and I highly recommend it to people too.
0: And JP, those of you who don't know, JP has done some pretty incredible courses with other people. Um, you did kiss flipping with Bob Norton. We talked a little bit about him on the previous he's, episode.
2: He's like the pit bull of real estate investing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or, or the Larry, Larry King, little, the Larry the King, <laughs> the Larry King of real estate investing. Oh boy, how about the peers
2: collaborator? You know, they just go on there and 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 uh, they mix up with everybody, and they seem like they're just
0: everywhere. <laughs> you actually, you um, see, so you did kiss flipping. Is that still available, JP?
1: Yeah, kiss flipping is off market right now, so no, it's it's not available. The website's still up, but you can't get it.
0: Well, if it ever comes out again, if it ever comes out again, you should check it out. Um, And then you also did, uh, didn't you do a course with Preston when he was first getting started on probates?
1: Yeah, well, it was when I was working at flipping homes uh, with Steve Cook, and um, he. If you remember, I think he still sells his fifty dollars ebook on wholesaling, and he wanted to promote it to Steve's crowd. And I said, "Well, it's not really; it doesn't make sense because Steve has, you know, we like Steve's wholesaling material, and <laughs> at the time, you know, in terms of courses, it just didn't quite jive." So right. we said, "What what could we do to provide value, though?" And uh, we came up. You know, I talked to him about his first few deals and his first uh, couple of deals were probate deals, and I said, "Well, let's do a workshop on that." So. We did a, about a three-and-a-half-hour workshop, uh, teleseminar workshop on probate deals, and a lot of my deals have been through probate marketing as well, so I added some value to that. And then he ended up uh, turning that into his probate course. So if anybody out there has ever bought uh, Preston's probate course, I don't know if he's still offering it or not, but if you own well, it, yeah. uh, that, I'm the other guy on there.
0: Yeah, he is. In fact, uh, just last fall, he came out with "Deeds Deeds from from the the Dead." dead. Yeah, "Deeds from the Dead." It was hilarious, and um, I think what was he selling it for? Forty-seven bucks, ninety-seven bucks, and uh, so you're you're more you're more famous than you realize, JP. (laughs) Nice. He probably sold tens of thousands of that. But um, well,
1: all of that really just to kind of. I guess bring it to a head, and people may be wondering why I do all that. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, I, um, I I really get a lot of fulfillment out of filling the role of advocate for my fellow real estate entrepreneur. And the first way that expressed itself was when I started and ran my local REA group here in Memphis. I ran it for six years, and you know I didn't get paid anything to do that. I just uh, honestly love helping people, uh, cultivating them into a place from a place of confusion and or overwhelm into a place of actually succeeding. And I don't really do coaching or anything like that, but one of the best ways I can bring value to the table with people is by taking other people's content, if you will, other people's expertise, and making it as consumable and digestible and accessible as possible And so that's really, that's what fuels the podcast that I've started in on the, standing on the shoulders of you guys and your awesome podcast here. And that's also what has fueled me being involved in helping bring other people's, um, I guess, other people's education to the market. A lot of times people have something in them that's of value and they want to share it, but they're just not sure how. And so I've, I'm, I'm privileged to have been a, a part or had a hand in helping bring some of those out.
0: Excellent. By the way, to to find your blog, you're still active on your blog. It's reitips.com. REITips.com. com, dot com. And then your podcast again is reiology.com. So everybody say go see uh, go see JP's stuff. Say hi to him. Subscribe. Leave him a good review. And uh, we'd we'd really appreciate it. Okay, so let's jump into this. The, you have seven ways your seven favorite ways to find deals um, yes what's yes. number one
1: well let me let me let me start before i give you number one yeah. though let me just kind of let me start at what i call the beginning which is kind of what people need in case you don't already know this um, i think that it's really important before you go out and try to get deals that you put together some kind of plan some kind of a, a logical plan for how you're going to educate yourself. We talked about that in uh, the first half of this podcast or the f- f- podcast for part one, I guess. Um, I think you also, as you're, as you're taking in and learning about real estate investing, you need to put together an actual plan of how you're going to execute it. Otherwise, you are just erratic. You respond to you know like a metal ball bearing to whatever the closest magnet might happen to be. But if you have a plan and you put it in writing, you say, here's what I'm going to do You know, for X amount of time, let's say 90 days, I'm going to try this, or for the next year, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but you need a plan in order to ensure your success. Right. You also need to develop the ability to focus or hyper-focus, and we talked a lot about that in part one as well. hyper uh, hyperfocus is probably one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable, skills you can learn to guarantee your success and then you need a certain amount of confidence confidence is a fear crusher and anybody who uh, has gotten into this business can relate to the fear that can just overwhelm and consume you and get in your way and keep you from from taking action and even trick you into perpetually educating yourself and fooling you into thinking you're making progress you need to conquer that fear and you need to adopt a certain level of confidence that will propel you forward so those are just some of the kind of starting points before you even start about uh, start thinking about trying to get deals. In my opinion,
2: good.
1: That said, favorite deal getter number one for me is drum roll please, probate.
0: Probate. That's right.
1: <laughs> we talked about it uh, a little bit in the last episode, but basically, uh, probate real estate—the rocket science of it—is step one: you locate local. Uh, your local probate court website in most cases, and then you tap into their data, you know, and you can either tap into their data manually by going to the courthouse and figuring out how to get access to that data, or in a lot of cases, like in my county here in, in Shelby County, you can get it online or even download it in, in many situations. And once you have that data, you want to mail letters to those people. Yeah. The next step is you receive calls, and then once you receive those calls, you start making offers. It's really not rocket science. Um, Why I think probate rocks is actually, there's a handful of reasons. Number one, there's still not a lot of competition in the probate arena. Uh, You know, everybody who's got something to sell will tell you it's an open field and there's no competition. But I can tell you from real world experience, while probate is not an unknown. Totally untapped arena, it's not one that's very crowded still, right. and I hear that from people who are in other areas, not just uh, in my local area. Most folks think it's too complicated you know it's it's kind of an intimidating thing and it, 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 on the from the outside looking in most folks who do get into it mail only once, which is a huge mistake yeah and uh, they just quit you know if they don't get any fast results a lot of times though they may send out a batch of letters and not get quite the response that they expect and then just quit. One of the things I think is really cool about probate though is that you're actually really helping people who have a very specific need. A lot of people tend to want to stay away from probate because you you, you, you kid yourself or that's not the right word to use. You you deceive yourself into thinking that it's somehow taking advantage of people when you got somebody who died and you're kind of swooping in like a vulture and saying, hey, let me buy your house from this dead corpse. <laughs> well, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is every single day there are estates that absolutely need to sell the assets of that estate. The the heirs are, yes, grieving and dealing with uh, the overwhelm of the situation, and in a lot of situations they don't have the wherewithal to fix up grandma's house to put it back on the market it's dated they know that they just really need to kinda move on and the thing that allows them to do that the quickest is a viable answer to prayer for them and so over the course of my real estate adventures I have really realized the benefit that I'm offering people when I make myself available to purchase their probate real estate now. Obviously, I have to make a profit, and they understand that. I'm not. This is not a ministry; it's a business. But I know I'm providing a service that people really need. If you didn't have investors willing to buy as-is probate real estate, you'd have a lot of estates who really would be up a creek without a paddle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's just why I think it really rocks. If you want to understand my personal basic process, in case it helps anyone who's considering the probate side of it. Um, Step one for me is I get the lead from my local daily newspaper, uh, not the big paper, but there 's like a small legal paper and uh, uh, that where I guess attorneys pay to publish the legal required probate so are, data are
0: these the obituaries or the probate court filings
1: no it 's not the obituaries. Uh, I actually know somebody who is marketing Brian mitham, I think it is who who's started marketing to obituaries in a little different angle there but this is the you know when a, when a state enters probate the uh, uh, the executor may or may not be a family member, it may be an attorney appointed by the court or maybe a family member. but they have to uh, advertise within a certain time frame that this estate is in probate, and it's usually a month or two after the death. So it's not you know the obituary happens right after the death. It's as fresh as it possibly can be, and you have to be extremely cautious if you're going to take that approach. Uh, in fact, uh, when Brian sends letters to Obits, he doesn't even mention a death or anything. He just sends the letter directly to the dead person literally he he mails it to the deceased person at their home address and it just says uh, basically a general we buy house's message, knowing that the executor is going to go through that mail at some point and discover that, and if they have real estate. That the estate needs to sell, then they'll connect the dots, and that's the approach I would recommend if you're going to go the O bids.
0: Yeah, and that's that's an important point to make. Um, if you got to be real careful with this, and um, I know I can hear I can already hear the objections from people, and, and I understand that, but JP, did, you did nail it on the head when you said you're offering something that is really going to help them. And uh, you know, we all have family and friends that have know people that have passed away, and. The, y- the last thing they want to worry about anymore is this house is a house that probably needs a lot of work it hasn't been able to sell um, or they don't have the time or the energy or the resources to put into fixing it up to get it ready to sell and um, so you are actually offering a service to help them and you do need to make a profit and if it doesn't work that's fine it's not a big deal they just won't you know you don't you don't work you don't buy the house Um, but when you send your mail D- don't put in the mail, hey, I'm sorry about your loss. Just, just put a message on there that says, you know we're looking to buy houses in this neighborhood if you have a house you'd like to sell, call me yeah, and by the way, uh, one of our first episodes on the real estate investing mastery podcast was with mike Ferris um and we talked a lot about probate investing on that podcast. oh yeah yeah yeah
1: mike is a is a real ass at it absolutely
0: We were just talking about probate and j p you were you had some um some extra things you're gonna say about that right
1: yeah just a couple of more uh, quick tips about probate that I learned from uh, from other folks who also are active in the arena one you know you can always mail letters like we just talked about but uh, you can also actually get to know you know usually uh, attorneys uh, specifically probate attorneys you would think they would have probably some referrals for you (laughs) oh yeah so uh, I I know that uh, my real estate attorney shares an office with three other attorneys and one of her partners is uh, someone who specializes in probate and it'd be just really super easy to say, hey, uh, you know, I buy houses a lot of times from estates. So if you happen to have a client who has real estate that they need to liquidate, just let them know about me. And yeah. uh, it's a it's a really strong tactic. Also insurance agents, they they certainly find out when a life insurance policy. Uh, comes into play, and you can get uh, probate referrals from insurance agents.
0: Very good. So, and by right. the way, I got a, I got a reference. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Alex. That, I did, I
2: never actually heard of the life insurance agent. That's interesting. That would be more like a financial planner, probably.
0: Yeah,
1: got that tip from a financial
2: uh, advisor that sells life insurance.
1: Right, right. And I got that tip from Craig Fear. By the way, I think you guys interviewed Craig at one point. Yeah. Well, cool. My favorite deal getter number two, and this is something, Alex, you are quite an expert on, and that would be direct mail to absentee owners. (laughs) Probably not a lot that I can say about that that you guys haven't covered in uh, one arena or another already. Uh, Obviously, you can find people who own property in areas, uh, whatever your particular opportunity market is, but their address that the tax bill is mailed to is out of state and there's a decent chance if it's not a corporation that those people may be interested in selling especially in this market so you mail them a letter or a postcard uh, and you elicit responses from them um, you guys i'm sure have covered that uh, exhaustively in resources and things uh, in that arena at this point right kind of <laughs> yeah i would think so but that's but- that's my second favoritist deal getting
0: tactic well the cool thing about that we just one of our last episodes was with keith and shannon french oh yeah and they do a lot of direct mail to absentee owners and they send simple yellow letters and um they said their lowest response rate on their yellow letters has been 15 percent. really the the lowest response rate they get with their yellow letters to absentee owners they're very targeted they send out to specific zip codes where they know there's a high demand for homes in a specific price range, you know, with meets specific criteria. Um but yeah, I got you got to love absentee owners.
1: Yeah, wow, that's impressive. I got, I need to I need to see their letter. <laughs> so, My favorite deal getter number 3 would be driving for dollars or uh what I like to call ugly house radar. And this is uh this is a kind of real estate investing 101, and you guys have probably uh, heard about this, but I mean, a lot of people overlook it because it seems too simple. It seems too yeah. maybe old school, uh, but the fact of the matter is if you select a farm area, an opportunity market, and just drive it regularly and make it part of your, your normal loop, you can look for those telltale signs of a bad house situation. They're obvious to see. You just have to have your radar on for ugly houses. And then just make a note, you know, make a note of the address and then have your VA look up who the owner is online and reach out to them in some way, you know. And you you guys know the telltale signs. It's overgrown grass and shrubs. It's peeling paint. It's bad roof. It's phone books and mail piled up and flyers and things like that, broken glass, stickers on the door, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But uh, you can get their address online and uh, you can reach out to them. And uh, there are many a deal to be had that way.
2: One thing I do have to say is you have to be careful now there are a lot of foreclosures and scenarios and a vacant house can just be that a foreclosure or REO and waiting so do you know do your research on it i guess fair but fairly easy to do because you can just look in uh real quest of the public records and see if yep. the bank owns it you don't want to be mailing yellow letters to banks it doesn't work too well
1: right 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 yeah <laughs> so, yes if it's a corporation in play, then I would just uh, pass on it altogether.
0: Well, you know Favorite. what else? There, you can call the uh, the houses with the for rent signs in front of them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I've done a little bit of that, but I haven't done much of it. Is that is that something you've had much success with, Joe?
0: I have. You know, it's been kind of mixed. I haven't done as much, but uh, you know, when you're driving around town and you're looking at these homes, also call the ones that have the for rent signs up there, and just ask them. You know, JP, you had a you interviewed a guy, I think, a while ago on your blog, or had some video from him. Remember, um, maybe I'm getting confused with somebody else, but this he gave me a really good idea, and it's real simple. Um, you find the for rent ads, and you call the owners up, and you ask them if they want to sell their house. And so what I've been implementing kind of off and on, I'm not regular with it yet, is just calling for rent ads in Craigslist, the cheap ones, you know. Um, mm-hmm. the ones that are two bedrooms, maybe they're multifamilies, and so maybe the rents are only four, or 500 a month, right? They're not like the big expensive homes. But calling these landlords up and just saying, hey, I saw your property on Craigslist. Would you be interested in selling it? I'm an investor looking to build my portfolio or something like that. Um, but that's a great way to find um, motivated sellers. I mean, these properties are vacant, right?
1: Well, and especially for your wholesaling lease options model, Joe, I mean, it's uh, especially well tailored to that model uh, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, calling up a landlord. I, you know, every time I've called up a landlord that I can think of, uh, I've actually taken the other angle. It just hadn't occurred to me to ask them to sell. Instead, I'm, I'm going, do you want to buy a house in this area? Do you want to buy another one?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you you can ask them both questions. You know, build right, your buyer's right. list and, and see if they want to sell, have something to sell.
1: Yeah, they're a player potentially in both arenas. Well, here's the
0: important thing too is when you're talking to them, ask them if they say no, I don't want to sell that house or I'm just renting it. Ask them if they have any other houses they'd like to sell or if they know of any other investors that are looking to sell their property. You're going to I've done that many times and I'm always shocked at how many times the seller will say, "Well, you know what? I do have another house I'd like to sell or I do know somebody who has some property they'd like to get leg like to get rid of." Um, and if they don't, you could say, Hey, you know, we pay referral fees. I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks. If you ever refer somebody to me, um, don't, don't forget about those things. Always ask.
1: Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Uh, well, my, if we, uh, move on, I guess my, my fourth favorite deal getter over the last, um, dozen or so years since I started investing has been bandit signs. Now, with one caveat i'll say um i don't like putting them out myself anymore at all and it it that has a lot to do with me just moving towards only doing things that i really like doing and you know frankly just kind of being a little bit more of a snob and and not engaging in <laughs> getting up at 4 a.m to put signs out but i'm all for hiring other people to do that for me at this point but yeah regardless bandit signs still get results uh, you just got to buy signs, put in some time and effort to get somebody else to do it, and it is still one of the fastest ways to get leads coming into your business. So if people ask me, you know, I just got started, and what's the fastest way for me to attract a uh, p- uh, business? Bandit signs, I mean, it just doesn't get any any faster from point A to point B there. Uh, you do need to learn to dance with the sign police a little bit. Now, some people have a, a moral problem with bandit signs period, because let's face it, I don't think there's an area in the nation where it's technically legal to put those signs up. Right. Uh, but it is, it's kind of one of those things where you go, how much damage am I really doing?
0: Well, yeah.
1: (laughs) So I would say people need to go with their conscience on that. Um, if you're going to do bandit signs and you want to not, uh, run, you want to run the least risk possible of, you know, having expensive fines because of it or something like that. Some areas they just don't care. You know, it's kind of one of those laws nobody pays attention to. But if, if they're particularly vigilant, uh, one of the tricks of that is to put your signs out on Friday night or Friday afternoon, and then probably Friday night's best, and then go pick them up again on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, your basic deal there is the uh sign police or code enforcement as they're more frequently known don't work on the weekends so
0: or or they kind of allow it on the weekends right
1: or they kind of yeah what and it's it's probably a little different in different areas but um you know that's full disclosure go with your conscience on that and and Always let your conscience be your guide. To Here's your the thing. Cricket.
0: I, I love signs. I'm renting out one of my houses right now. We're just looking for a tenant. And uh, I put some signs out on the weekend. I put them out Friday night, pick them up Sunday night. And easily, by a margin of two to one, maybe three to one, I get way more many calls from my signs than I do from my Craigslist ads. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially, and now these are signs, uh, specifically in this situation, these are signs... To what?
0: Oh, to, to to a house for rent.
1: Yeah, and you're dealing with people who are already in the area, right? Either they live in that area and they got to move and they want to stay in the area, or they're looking for houses in that area. So right. it's a great target. So I just
0: did I just did three little directional signs, um, and on each directional sign, it's pointing and you know turn left and then, then turn right, and I put the address on there, and then when they get in front of the house, it has the phone number on that sign, and um, I just got them at Home Depot.
1: Uh, when you guys do bandit signs, do you ever use the bandit sign stapler?
0: I never have. Alex, have you? He might have had to go. He's watching his kids right yeah, now, yeah. by the way. But um. I'm
2: here. Sorry.
0: Yeah, that's all right. Have you ever used those uh, the bandit sign stapler thing?
2: I think um, I had when I had when I was doing bandit signs like a couple of years ago. I had a group of people used it for me I never got out there and used it myself but yeah I think it I think it works pretty good but the key advantage yeah. is just repetition and just keeping them out there by um, by keeping the rotation going because they keep getting taken down and then you got to put them back up <laughs> you know this is one of those things you just got to find the areas that they don't Uh, They're not all over you for putting them out there, right? Um, You will go into the areas and they'll nail you to the wall. I've I've actually heard of an investor in my area who got arrested for magnet signs. Whoa, seriously? Yeah. (laughs) My God. I had a on on this phone number. That's the magnet sign on his truck.
0: I had because a student
2: putting it, you know, and they, and they get annoyed if they can't find who it is because people try to go covert with the Google numbers and all this stuff, and they can't find where the number's coming from. I think it makes them more mad, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: I had a. We're not we're not knocking your seven favorite ways, <laughs> JP, but this, people got to be aware of this when it comes to bandit signs. I had a student who, um, he put out some signs looking for buyers. And the cops actually called him pretending to be a buyer, but the number was blocked. And so the guy answered the phone. The, the caller ID was blocked. And uh, the guy said, yeah, I'm interested in this house. I really want to meet you. I want to meet you right now. Can you come meet me at the house? And uh, he said, well, I, you know, I can't right now. What, what's your phone number? I'll call you back. You know, let me look at my calendar. I'll call you back. And the guy said, "Oh, uh, well, you can't call me back. I'm I'm borrowing a friend's phone number. This isn't my cell phone. Sting <laughs>
2: operation."
0: Yeah, well, he wanted to to meet the guy. So he said, "The cop was really good." He says, "You know, I got five thousand dollars. I need a house like this week. You know, five thousand for a down payment. I think this was a rent-to-own home or something like that." And so he said, "Okay, fine. I'll go. I'll meet you there. Okay." He was a little suspicious and leery about it. This was in the Phoenix area, by the way. So he actually goes to the house. He gets there and uh, he sees a guy in a truck and he walks up, you know, and says, how you doing? The guy pulls out his gun, says, put your hands on the hood, handcuffs him. And then this two other cops come screaming around the corner with their lights flashing. And they, they, they put the, they never, they, they didn't take him away. Um, in the paddy wagon, but they, they've handcuffed him <laughs> the <paddy wagon. laughs> and, and, and they opened up the, the guy had this truck with one of the lids, you know, and he, he opened up the lid and it was filled with his bandit signs, like 20 of them. And he said, we've been following you. We got all your bandit signs. And these are like a $10,000 fine for each one. And the guy was, uh, was really apologetic and, you know, he said he was real sorry, but he had to ask the guy. He said, look, you guys, you know, aren't there some really b- – there was two cop cars and this undercover detective. So, you know, you're looking at maybe like a salary staff for the city of maybe 200 bucks 150 200 bucks an hour. And, you know, he's asking these guys, don't you have anything more important to do in this big city – than going after guys like me. And he was kind of joking about it with them. And he said, you know what? It's all politics. And um, it's just the people in the city hall right now are cracking down on this. Um, he was let go. They gave him a real strong warning. And he said, uh, don't do this again. <laughs> can you believe that?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty intense. I, I, I think that would scare anybody off if they experienced anything close to that. I can say... I have never experienced blowback from it, but I know a guy who's been fine once.
2: <laughs> the warnings, you know? Right, don't, right, right. Try to get all covert and crazy with it. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, if you are in an area where they really hate the signs particularly, they're going to they're gonna give you some warnings first and just pay attention to it. Whereas in other areas, there are still some areas where even though it's not something that, you know, they say, yes, please put signs up, they're not going to really go after you. So, man, what a story. What a story. All right, well, let's move on from bandit signs. I'm starting to look over my shoulder here for...
2: How else can we get arrested, JP? Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, let's talk about how to get illegal access to the MLS. <laughs> not really, uh, It's because it's not illegal. Uh, but my favorite deal-getter number five is MLS farming. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, the, the, the kind of breakdown of the science of this is you got to get access to the MLS. And, of course, there's a variety of ways you can do that. I'll touch on that in a moment here. But uh, you, once you do that, you want to know how to select an opportunity market to farm. You don't want to be all over the place. That's too overwhelming. It's too much. It's just it take you way too much time, in my opinion. I think you want to pick, like, a school district, would be a good starting point and become a true market expert of that little opportunity market. And you can become an opportunity market expert by using the data in the MLS. And then you just farm that baby and you farm it daily and you cherry pick and you are the big fish in the small pond. Now I learned this lesson the hard way. When I got started in real estate investing, I was the small, was it small fish in the big pond? I was all over town, man. And, um, and I had a certain level of expertise because of that, but uh, I couldn't make immediate, fast decisions right on the spot because I still had market research to do every single time I looked at a deal. But if I was focusing in on an area and really became the market expert in that area, then you don't have to do research even. You know what the house is worth. You know what houses like that are selling for because every day you carve out a little slice of your day to look in the MLS, see what's been going on, give it the sniff test. And you internalize that. And the MLS is a huge asset in being able to do that. One of the cool ways to do that, this is just kind of a like one method that works. I learned this from my buddy Bob. Look, pick a market that you, where you think there might be some deals. You think it m- just might be an opportunity market. Again, a narrow area. Look for anything that's going pending fast in that area and i would say pending meaning like 60 days on market or less okay
0: yeah. yeah
1: map those out and then start to look for geographic trends see if you notice are there clusters of things that are going pending in a relatively short time frame excuse me in any any particular neighborhoods then reverse engineer and see if you can position yourself in front of that and that's you can do all of that using the mls now, I want to talk about how to get access to the MLS, but do you have any any thoughts on that before I before I do that? Any thoughts on that?
0: Are you that looking approach? for I two things real quick. Are you looking for homes that retail buyers are snatching up fast or cash buyer investors are snatching up fast?
1: It could be either one. Okay. Because really, you're starting with what's going pending fast. If something is going is 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 60 days on the market or less, and there's, it's more than just a a one hit thing. Then there's got to be a reason for that. It may be that that in that particular area, as you reverse engineer it, you may discover that you've got cash buyers, uh, investors, you know, buying up uh, REOs really quick. Or it may be that you discover that there's a wholesale market existing between the retail market and the wholesale market, where you've got uh, you know people who love flip this house on TV and they're kind of be investors, but they got to buy something that uh, is just maybe in like a clean REO type condition sometimes you can discover that there's a clean REO market lying there that people aren't even aware of but the data is right there because you got homeowners buying you know clean right. revenues, snatching up it's, uh, right. put them pending fast so you don't really know exactly what the end buyer is until you reverse engineer it but the clue you're looking for is a cluster or a trend or a pattern of quickly
0: you know one thing i'd I'd add to that is once you find that area i've used post-it notes before that have worked really really well and they're very cheap to print they're post-it notes that look like from they're from ups that says hey we missed you or whatever and you stick it on their doors you can get them printed for like five to ten cents each and then you can get them delivered i've got them delivered before for eight cents each and you buy like four or five thousand and uh, you find those guys who, you know those guys who go out and deliver the door hangers or um, they throw out those bags of flyers and put them in your driveway? You yeah. can hire those people to put band- those post-it notes on their doors for um, very inexpensive. I know here in St. Louis I have a guy, eight cents a post-it note. That's a great way to be a big fish in a small pond.
1: Wow! Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. i totally forgot about the post-it notes uh, idea. I remember. I used to do that. Yeah.
2: I used to buy a whole bunch of post-it notes, and I used to buy them in bulk that I got them for half a cent each.
0: Half a cent <laughs> each?
2: Yeah. You, you go to I think it's thediscountprinter.com. I think is the name of it.
0: Thediscountprinter.com. Get... Good.
2: Thediscountprinter.com. You can you can buy them and a whole bunch of them really cheap. Um, I mean, you got to buy like, I, I think I had to buy like 25,000 of them, but, you know, that's still pretty cheap.
0: That sounds you know, like a lot. That sounds like a lot, but it's really not. I mean, you'd be surprised how quickly those go um, and how small of an area that is. But how were your results with those, Alex?
2: I think when I was doing them, I got a deal. Um, that, that was also, yeah, I got a few deals or whatever, but that was when I was also doing bandit signs at the same time yeah um and I had a certain group that was doing it for me and uh, I think they didn't like that I was uh, criticizing their band design technique and stuff like that and they stopped they stopped doing it so and then I just had never done it since then so <laughs> okay. but it Every, you know everything works you just have to put it into a system and let it run on autopilot and you'll you'll get stuff from it
0: right.
1: Very good. It, that reminds me of a uh, something I used to do early on in my uh, house flipping days that I totally forgot about. I had these bright orange business cards printed up. I mean, like burn your eyeballs orange, and uh, they were the, you know, you're just your typical we buy houses business cards, but. Um, I, I didn't have a way to stick them per se, but I would leave them in the doors and then I would have fun driving by you know, weeks later and seeing how many were still in the doors because you could spot them from a mile away. But oh, then God. I took some of those things and um, got these like business card magnets and stuck them on there, so it, now it was a magnetic business card, and I would stick it to mailboxes. And then I got in trouble from the postal service.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Don't you <laughs> do came that. after me? Yeah.
2: Don't Blamer. touch the post. Don't touch the
0: mailbox. Okay. Don't even
1: stick a magnet on the mailbox because you will get called.
0: Yeah. Well, good. All right. What's number six? Uh, well, I'm going to touch on
1: just getting access to the
0: MLS before
1: before yeah, move for yeah. the MLS. Um, because some people automatically, I know how you're thinking, you're going. How do I do that? Because I'm not licensed. Well, option one is obviously you can get licensed. Uh, And there's a whole line of uh, arguing on one side or the other of whether or not you should be licensed as a real estate investor. I don't know exactly where you guys fall. I kind of feel like you should just – there's no right or wrong to it. I have been licensed in the past, and I found it to be an asset in certain ways, and it certainly didn't – it was no detriment to my investing business in any way. Uh, I don't mind the disclosure or anything like that. Uh, At this point, I'm not licensed, and I'm fine with that too because I can get access in other, uh, to the MLS in other ways, um, there are, there's, there's benefits and, and downsides. I'm not going to get into the, to, to that side of it, but that's one way to do it, obviously. The second way is um, I know a lot of investors who they're not licensed, but their spouse is licensed. Uh, our mutual friend, Ken Holmes, that's his situation. Uh, I got a buddy here, John Haley in Memphis, that's his situation. And and it just works. Their spouse is not a real agent. It's just an agent to support their business. And so, you know, it, it, it adds an extra income stream at times when they want to generate commissions that way. But that's a that's another way to do it. Another way is you can become a licensed agent's unlicensed assistant. Have you guys ever talked about that before on any of your podcast episodes?
0: Well, I don't know. We might have. We'll-
1: well, the, I don't know it,
0: talked about the assistant
2: route, um, but, yeah, you definitely can do that.
1: Yeah, the long and the short of it is um, find an agent that is investor-friendly or wants investor business and just say, hey, I need MLS access. A legitimate way I can do it is to become your quote-unquote assistant. You know, I'm not really looking to be your assistant, but there is uh, an access typically for any MLS that an unlicensed assistant can get, and you get full MLS access with that access. Because you have to be able to do everything an assistant would do for an agent. And maybe in return for that, you know, maybe you give them free leads because there's going to be a lot of people responding to your marketing who are not going to be able to sell you their house. They're just not a good fit for your model, but they still could use the benefit of an agent in some way. So you say, look, I'll scratch your back and give you all the referrals of anybody I can't do business with and, and I'll buy a HUD house from you every couple of years, you know, or something like that. And in return, make me your quote unquote assistant so I can get access to the MLS. Totally legit.
0: Um
1: nothing nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh
1: all right, favorite deal getter number six, and this is something that uh Joe you know a little bit about, and that would be HUD. Yes. Yes. Uh, for those who don't know, HUD is uh, quietly liquidating uh, a lot of stuff right now at bargain prices. Uh, but it, it seems to be uh, area, I don't know, it's not in every area all the time. They kind of turn the faucet on and turn it off in different areas at different times. Um, I, I know All three of us are to a lot of investors across the nation, and some of them are just crushing it with HUD deals right now. And some of them are not able to get... All the sexy deals that some of the other people are able to, um, but you know the fact is, a lot of people who know about this are kind of keeping it mum. They're keeping it close to the vest. Uh, I think the one of the coolest things you can do is find out what's going on with HUD in your area. Start lowballing. You yeah. know, uh, there was once upon a time when I most of my career in, in real estate, you just couldn't lowball HUD and get anywhere. Uh, there was a certain kind of secret formula for coke that you had to know and it was like 83 percent of this of that and i know a guy locally who kind of figured out reverse engineer what it was but now all bets are off just pick an area pick a, a hud deal that that you think uh would be a sweet deal and uh, <laughs> ignore what it's listed at sling some against the wall and see what happens anything you would add to that uh, joe or alex on the hud
2: i'll tell you hud has got very competitive in my area um in the, in the in the recent uh, time frame here I mean there's you've a, you've actually got uh, you actually have a lot of uh, competition where there's like 15 20 other bids you're going against and they're all over asking <laughs> ah. Ah.
0: yeah it it depends you know it goes in swings up and down um, but the cool thing about bidding on these HUDs is you can bid on them anywhere in the country. And uh, you just go to the website. It's hudhomestore.com. And um, there's a uh, – by the way, I've also heard that – is it Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they have a website, and it's recently just opened up, and it's similar in concept to the HUD website um, where they let you bid yeah. online. What's
2: Your, home, your homeowner, homeowners will have the first day advantage, usually 15 days. Right, um, kind of, kind of, just like HUD with that. But I, I do have to say, one of my deals I closed in February was a HUD deal that I bought to rehab. They had, and and the key with watching HUD is that you have to um, you have to see. You know, sometimes they come out and they under, they underbid deals for whatever, reason, so their value is low. And then usually they're gonna take a lower percent of that value, so it's already set at a really low price. So you just have to watch which deals are that. And those those are the ones you go for. Mm. The yeah. um, on that one it was bit, it was actually listed at eighty and I bought it for eighty five. <laughs> so I came in and I and I tripped everybody up to was five thousand over because I know I can sell the deal after I put, you know, I think about forty grand into it, forty five grand.
0: I'll be
1: able to sell it for one eighty nine, one nine, low one ninety. You know, right? All right. So, check out your in your area. See what see what's going on. Test the waters with HUD if you haven't already. Um, and you just don't know. You know, is HUD offering deals? If so, have people caught on to it? It's gonna, it's, gonna, it's all over the map, all over the country right now. So there's some opportunity. Sniff it out.
0: Right. Um, we, I got to get going here. By the way, um, so we got to hurry up. I know you're almost done, JP. You got one yes. more?
1: I got, well, I got two more, actually. I oh. said seven, but I have a bonus extra deal-getter that, uh, cause, you know, Ooh. over-delivering thing, right? So <laughs> I'll, I'll blast through. Uh, favorite deal-getter number seven is referrals, baby. Yes. I can tell you that, as, uh, uh, from my own experience starting my RIA group, that being a center of influence for your local investors is a huge asset. And you can get lots and lots of deals through referrals. And as a wholesaler, you can always wholesale other people's deals with an option contract in place. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of that, but uh, I don't want to sell this one short. It's absolutely – every single deal that I have ever done has in some way involved someone that I met through my local RIA group, at least in some way, and a referral of some sort. So that's a strong one. Uh and then
2: are I'm you gonna, talking about becoming an instant guru, <laughs>
0: An instant guru.
2: <laughs>
0: That's one way to look at it. Yes, I, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's go all to right. the bonus one.
1: All right, the bonus. <laughs> special bonus deal getter number eight is the pendings hijacking. Now this I think we actually covered in Alex and your uh this was uh it's in there I
2: remember one of the, the name. yeah
1: it's one of the bonus uh sneaky wholesaling tricks, and it's one of my favorite uh so I wanted to add it. It's really a brilliant uh little tactic that few people ever think of, and all it really takes is some people skills and the wherewithal to do it and here's the principle: deals fall through the cracks all the time in this market especially, right when a deal you want goes pending with another buyer, you see it in the m l s it's now pending, are you just aware that it is? Try to position yourself in the forefront of the listing realtor's mind as the first and fastest and most reliable backup plan. And so what that looks like is basically you call up and you say, hey, look, I see this deal went pending. Yeah, yeah, we got a buyer lined up. Well. You know, In some way, basically, you're going to say, I know that uh, there's a, always a possibility the deal could fall through, and the realtor might say, oh, no, they're solid. You know, I, I know they are. Well, still, if something happens, I want you to know that I'm interested, I have cash, and I can close quickly, so please give me a call. Then a month later, if the deal hasn't sold, you call them up again, and you say, hey, I just want to see you. Know, did you guys close on that? Basically, just kind of a, a gentle, easy follow-up where you say, hey – I am the best backup plan available. What happens when a realtor, when it, when a deal that they had pending, uh, suddenly you know the buyer falls through, they couldn't get their hard money loan or whatever the case may be? What's going on inside that realtor's mind?
0: They're freaking out because they're going to oh, lose Oh, crap. Their, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. They're like, oh, crap. They've already spent that commission, man. I mean, they've probably already got the big screen TV up on their wall. And so they're not going to want to – relish the idea of going and going through the listing process again in the market and trying to, you know, milk the whole thing again. They're going to fall right back on the first person who has carved out enough of their mind share that they remember that, hey, here's somebody I can quickly turn to and get that commission sooner rather than later. That is a sneaky little trick worth remembering. And, uh, and, and it's, it's easy. I mean, it it takes nothing to do that other than just the awareness and a couple of phone calls.
0: That's good. That's really good and that um, you also just build a relationship with these realtors you know let them know you're a cash buyer you're a serious investor and if they ever come across a deal to send it your way and let them know you can uh, they can double dip commissions with you absolutely you know absolutely you'll, you'll get it they will get a commission on the buy and and the sell when you sell it if, yeah, you, can, this, if you can structure that
1: there's all kinds of tips like that that I would love if we had time I would love to to delve into but at its essence those are my top eight favorite deal getting strategies over the last dozen or so years since I got into this game and I I hope it's helpful to whoever is able to uh to integrate them into your real estate endeavors. I appreciate you guys
0: giving me the opportunity to share them. I think it's awesome, JP. Thank you very much. Awesome. Great to have you, man. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys, got to get going. My wife and kids are in the car (laughs) waiting for me to go. But uh, (laughs) listen, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Get your fast cash survival kit, and uh, you won't be disappointed. We have a bunch of other, uh, I mean, we we cover some of these deal strategies that JP covers, um, and it's really, really good stuff. And also go to JP's, he's got a new podcast out, REIology. If you just go to iTunes, do a search for real estate investing, you'll see his podcast there, slowly climbing the charts. And uh, he's going to be, it's a really good podcast. I'm excited for it. I I know JP well. He's a good guy. He's one of the good guys. And uh, I highly recommend his podcast. Go leave uh, him a good review. Go subscribe, leave him a review. And um We sure appreciate you, JP, and want to wish you the best of success in in your endeavors.
1: Thank you so much, guys. It's an honor to be on your podcast, and I I appreciate, along with everyone else, all that you put into serving your community, and uh, you guys are awesome.
0: All right, man. Hey, see you later, Alex. All right, JP, see you. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Take care.